Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. weekend dinner. The day I left for college, my mother worked her usual job. It was to be my father's task to transport me and all my stuff to my small dorm room 75 miles away from home. Mom and I said our goodbyes the night before. She was never one for fussy and emotional departures. Dad wanted to get an early start, so the truck was packed the night before, and I slept in my empty childhood bedroom with a sleeping bag and a pillow borrowed from the guest room bed. I lay awake all night, my stomach in a knot over the impending separation. At 6.30 a.m., we were on the road, my possessions tied down in the back of Dad's small tread truck. We spoke little on the ride, listened to the radio, and drank our tea, milk and sugar, both of us, picked up at Dunkin' Donuts earlier in the trip. Two glazed donuts each, and an hour and a half later, we reached our destination, the steps of my gritty and quiet dormitory in Providence, Rhode Island. My father unloaded all my milk crates, my one piece of luggage, boxes of books, and clean clothes in a duffel bag, and said his goodbyes. He wanted to get back to work. Half the day was gone already. The dorms didn't open until noon, though, so I sat on the cool cement stairs for three hours until someone came and unlocked the door. The first few months of college were both exciting and lonely. I had been assigned an international suite and was the only one out of eight young women who spoke English as a first language. The other girls were boisterous and fun and loud, and I was shy and quiet. I made few friends outside of class, and I spent most of my time in my room, which overlooked the walkway that led to all the other dorms. My desk was pushed up against the window, and I often sat on it and watched the rest of college walk by on their way to class or meals. One day early in the second semester, as I sat on my desk in my room, I smelled what could only be described as burning, perfumed blowout cards from fashion magazines. It was so familiar, and it reminded me of my after-school drama club, sneaking clove cigarettes with my friends from home. I followed the smell out of my room, out of my suite, out of the dorm, and around the corner of the building to the game room and the key desk in the basement. I stared at the girl behind the counter. She was tiny and ghostly pale, with long, ultra-blonde hair, dressed all in black, with black-rimmed half-glasses and a black cigarette holder in which burned a damp clove cigarette. She looked like something out of a Japanese anime comic. I felt very tall and ugly and awkward as I watched her read her book, the cigarette almost forgotten with an inch or more of ash threatening to dislodge onto the floor. She looked up at me with the coolest blue eyes, half-lidded over the black granny glasses. She asked me what I wanted in her resigned and already bored voice. I at once felt dismissed, and yet also I recognized her from my acting class, and when I found my voice, I said so. She nodded and said nothing, looking back down at her book, and I took my leave. But after class the following day, she waited for me, and we walked to get coffee. After that, we were inseparable. We made plans to move into the same suite, Sweet P, for the next semester, and we tweaked our schedules. We took all of our classes together, 
ate all of our meals in the pathetic dining hall together, went out to see live music and dancing together with our older sister's IDs. Rumors circulated about our fast and tight friendship, but Lars, Lars quashed any talk of an untoward relationship when she presented her very beautiful boyfriend from home. Rex, like Lars, was a work of art, but tall and a professional bike racer on the U.S. national team. Lars was the girl everyone wanted to be or possess. She was pretty and self-aware and talented. She had a dry sense of humor and a closet full of vintage clothing, most of which was black. She looked sleek and elegant in it, but when I borrowed it, I looked clownish. She smelled of clove ashes and patchouli oil all the time, even just from the shower. All the men wanted to date her, and I was the goofy sidekick. Did she sleep with all of our male friends, even the ones I wasn't interested in? Maybe. They were all definitely wanted to sleep with her. One of the best things about Lars, though, was her family. Like myself, she came from a comfortable existence in a wealthy Connecticut town, but that's where the similarities ended. Her family was boisterous and educated and demonstrative and full of kind words and supportive gestures for each other. I loved being in their company. From the first time I met them, they treated me like one of the family. I had my own room, my own bed in their large house in the woods. Lars's younger brother and sister loved to jump on me in the morning and wake me up, and I would tell them stories of college life while we made toast and tea. My favorite peanut butter and snacks were stocked in the kitchen. While Lars had sex with her hometown boyfriend in his car at the end of the driveway, I was eating dinner with the family or running one of the younger siblings to judo practice or piano lessons. I did the dishes with Lars's dad and we discussed school and dorm life or landscaping or music while Lars's mother let the hem out of one of Lars's skirts so it would fit me. I spent Easter and Christmas Eve with them my own basket of colored eggs and candy hidden with the rest, a stocking with my name on it hanging on the mantle. Care packages to me were sent back with Lars on the few occasions when she'd go home without me. Sometimes I'd go without her, and I could imagine I was the daughter in this family dynamic I envied. My parents said it was about time I had a nice college friend to pal around with, so they didn't seem to mind that I never went home to their house anymore. My mother had turned my room into an office by then anyway. The weekends at school were quiet. Most of the students left for the weekend, and the college shut down except for the dorms. There were no weekend meals on campus. My parents sent me $25 a month to cover food on the weekends, which usually went for laundry, vending machine cokes, and tea at the coffee house, and rarely went for food. We were surprisingly inventive, however, with our meager earnings from our part-time jobs. Lars had a toaster oven and a coffee maker in her room, and I had a hot water pot and a small electric two-burner unit. We stocked up on delicacies from the gourmet shop in her town that her auntie owned, Havarti with dill, violet pastilles, sparkling mineral water. Frozen hash brown patties, chopped broccoli, spinach, and eggs came from the local grocery near the college. The hash browns were defrosted in the toaster oven. The eggs were scrambled in the small frying pan on the burner. The other burner warmed the broccoli or the spinach, and the windows in our dorm room wide open to dispel the odors of cooking. All of our accoutrements were contraband, but we served many members of dorm government on those weekends. Eventually, Lars and I grew apart. She starred in a film project of mine and then slept with my film professor, and I still only got a B in the class, which frankly was insulting. I dropped out of our theater group and joined the debate team instead. 
I started dating the star debater, and she became that film professor's girlfriend, riding on the back of his motorcycle and attending art openings and film showings with a helmet under her arm and her long blonde hair tied in a loose braid like some kind of modern but dressed Godiva. We stopped eating our meals together and worked hard at discrediting the other to our friends. She said I couldn't commit to anything. I called her a slut. We stopped talking to each other, but I always asked about her when I saw mutual friends. The hardest part of losing Lars was losing the family. I called when I knew she wasn't around, but eventually we all stopped talking to each other. My mother never asked me what happened and seemed indifferent when I started coming home every couple of months. She'd only met Lars once anyway. A year or so later, we had both dropped out of college. I tracked down Lars's father about 15 years later and got her phone number and visited her at the restaurant where she worked as a chef. Her parents were there waiting for me, and they folded me into a warm embrace. So many years had gone by since I saw them, but it was like no time at all had passed. I showed wedding pictures and pictures of pets and told them all the trajectory of my life until that moment. Lars's perfect blonde daughter, a very tiny and pale four-year-old carbon copy of her, sat on my lap with her small arms around my neck, whispering in my ear a story of a litter of kittens living in their barn. She smelled so wonderful and her warm breath on my neck, and it was like time had folded over on itself like a blanket and I was back in the family again like no time or bad feelings had ever passed. Then, Lars came out of the kitchen in her apron. She said she had a special dish for me to try under the bright silver dome that reflected our happy faces. It was scrambled eggs on a hash brown patty with chopped broccoli and melted Havarti. And it tasted exactly the way I had remembered it. Thorpe Hall Weekend Dinner, the recipe. One package of frozen hash browns. Four. One package of frozen chopped broccoli or spinach. A quarter pound of sliced Havarti with dill. Four eggs. A splash of milk or three half and half creamers swiped from the dining hall. Salt and pepper packets, also from the dining hall. Four butter pats. I don't think I need to say it, but also from the dining hall. Defrost and toast the hash brown patties. Beat eggs lightly with milk, salt, and pepper. Scramble in a hot pan with two melted butter pats. Boil or saute the broccoli or spinach. Microwave if necessary. Add two additional butter pats. Pile vegetable and egg onto hash brown. Cover with slice of cheese. Toast until melty. Eat at once. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com. <laughs>